Thanks, Steve. It's been an exciting morning. Internet's down because of what's going on down south. And uh, I'm just going to start a bootleg live service here. There we go. If anybody joins us online now, we have sort of a bootleg live service going. They can tune into the message at least and uh, off of my phone. But we are aware of what's going on down south. Uh, lots of people out of power, Peterborough especially. And so I just want to encourage you. We don't really have the time right now to organize something officially for the church. But I just want to encourage you as members here, as visitors here, you know people in the south. You know people here. You have life groups. Anything you can do to even just maybe put a road trip together, cook some burgers, take it down there. People don't have power. People are all over the place, homeless. I don't know what the connections are, but God's people have connections. And people here have connections to churches there. You could make a phone call today and ask how you could help uh, connect with a church in Peterborough or in London or anywhere down there uh, and just help out. Um, we just recently concluded our, our recent series on Colossians. And... Um, Colossians uh, ties very closely to another book, Philemon. And so you can see that I've you know, quickly made up a new PowerPoint slide here for the book of Philemon, because uh, we have a one-off uh, sermon, we have a one-off message on this book, and it's on reconciliation and intercession. And if you look at the end of Colossians, in Colossians chapter 4, we were there a couple of weeks ago, he says, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He's a beloved brother and a faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord. And I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. And those sentences at the end of chapter 4 in Colossians are kind of a foreshadowing of what we have uncovered for us in the book of Philemon. So you have to imagine this taking place in the early church. Tychicus comes into town, into Colossae, and he showed up at the first church service just like this with a report from the Apostle Paul, a missions report. Paul's in prison in Rome. Tychicus comes and gives a report on everything Paul's been doing in the mission and, and how he's doing and the people there. And uh, he has a sermon with him in a letter, the Colossians. And we went through that sermon, basically, the teaching of Paul to the church that Tychicus passed on and that Paul wanted them to hear. But now, just imagine, after reading that letter and doing the report on what Paul was doing and everything, Tychicus had another task. He was carrying another letter to deliver. And at some point in the day, he hunts down a man called Philemon. And it may not have been very difficult because this church probably gathered in Philemon's house. And so Philemon is a good guy. He's a church leader. He's generous. He's full of love and growing in faith, we're going to discover in our text. But there is some church business that Paul wants to deal with privately with Philemon. And it's connected to this Onesimus fellow who has come back and who is going to tell the story of all the stuff that's been going on. Everybody's like, wow, what's going on here? And it's personal. It hasn't affected the rest of the church yet. And 
It hasn't affected this church in Colossae the way, say, some of the behavior of members of the church of Corinth has affected the church in Corinth. Or we think of Paul's letters to Galatia or Ephesians where he's trying to fix things that have gone wrong. Well, that hasn't happened in Colossae yet. So Paul sends this private letter to Philemon, has to do with Onesimus, wants to deal with it privately, but the Holy Spirit preserves this for us so that we can learn from what is going on behind the scenes of this good little church in Colossae. He doesn't want the rest of the church to be dragged into this. He wants to see it handled correctly so that Philemon's example to this church is a good example, so that the resolution of this issue is a victory to celebrate and not a defeat that causes division. So let's dig into this short private letter that's been preserved for us and has a lot to teach us today. And I'm just going to read the whole letter uh, quickly. So you get the whole sense of what Paul is saying to Philemon. It says, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. And I am sending him back to you, sending you my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this was perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more so to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. And so if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account, I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it, to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ, confident of your obedience. I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. And at the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greeting to you, and so do Mark and Aristarchus and Demas and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So, what's this letter about? Well, obviously there's some trouble here between Onesimus and Philemon, and Paul wants it reconciled. He wants this relationship healed. And reconciliation is commanded in almost all of the teaching of Jesus. It's commanded in the writings of Paul, Peter, James, John. But reconciliation is not easy. What Christian reconciliation often needs is Christian intercession. 
So the other side of reconciliation is intercession, and this book is about reconciliation and about intercession. And we want to consider both of those things today, and we want to consider this by reflecting on the three people that are involved, and where we identify in different seasons of our Christian life with any of these three people. Sometimes we're Winesimus, sometimes we're Philemon, and sometimes we're Paul. And we need to look at each of these three people and figure out when we are in their shoes and how we are to act in those situations. And I'm just going to pray before we start unpacking what the Holy Spirit has for us today. Father God, we thank you for your word that we just read. Thank you that it is here for our instruction that this private matter that seems to have worked. We don't hear of any trouble in Colossae. And so it seems to have worked, seems to have settled things down. And so we thank you that we have this instruction from your Holy Spirit from your Apostle Paul. We pray that it would transform our lives and by then transform our church and that we would also be a good little church in Halliburton that is esteeming to you and on mission for the gospel. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So first of all, we have Onesimus. And uh, as we saw in Paul's open letter to the whole church of Colossae, In Colossians chapter 4, Onesimus is returning to Colossae from Paul, who's in jail in Rome, and he's coming along with Tychicus. And in verse 9 of chapter 4, he calls him one of your own. And with him comes Onesimus, faithful and beloved brother, who's one of you. They will tell you everything that has taken place here. In other words, you all know this Onesimus guy. He's coming to you with Tychicus, and they together will tell you what has happened here in Rome. It's an exciting story, and Paul hints to the church that there's a pretty cool story that they have to tell, and I'm sure the church who's listening to this letter immediately is interested because they would know if this is our Onesimus, then he's the unbelieving pagan bondservant that stole from and ran away from our Philemon, the guy whose house we're meeting in. Yeah, we know this Onesimus, and if he's coming back from Paul, this is going to be a juicy story, right? We never thought we would see that guy again. And here he is coming back from the Apostle Paul out of all the millions of people in the Roman Empire that this Onesimus could have run into in the city of Rome. How did he run into Paul? And what happened there? Like, that's a wild story. And so we're going to get the testimony of Onesimus who Paul is now calling a faithful and beloved brother. That doesn't sound like the guy who left here. So there's something going on here. Testimony Sundays are awesome. You guys had a Testimony Sunday just last week, and Testimony Sundays are fun because you get to hear how God is working in people's lives. While the private letter to Philemon, we see that Paul knows Onesimus ran away from his master. He seems to indicate there that there's some sort of debt that Onesimus was paying off by his bond service, but perhaps now owes a greater debt because of stolen money or items that he took in order to finance his escape. And basically that Onesimus is going to be in need of a lot of grace as he returns to face the consequences of his past actions. Now, Sometimes this is us. Sometimes we are Onesimus. There are seasons in our life where we are avoiding or running away from certain people and situations because we don't want to face the consequences of our behavior or our words. We're in Onesimus' shoes here. 
Maybe you're here today or you're watching online and you're in Onesimus' shoes. You are running away or avoiding or staying away from things that you have done, people you have offended, and you think you're free and clear when you run away from them until at some point you run into another believer in a small group or we run into the Holy Spirit in our quiet time and our Bible reading and those people tell us and the Holy Spirit prompts us, no, you need to go back and set things right. Which is what Paul told Onesimus. Onesimus, now that you're a disciple, let me tell you about discipleship. You don't run away from things. And so after coming to know Jesus and being saved through Paul in Rome, Onesimus is learning something about discipleship, which is that Jesus' followers don't run away from their past or avoid the relational debts they owe. Even if those debts came from a time before you were a disciple or when you were even just not acting like a disciple, it doesn't matter. Disciples of Christ are not debt dodgers or remorse avoiders or they are disciples that do the hard work of reconciliation, especially if they're the ones that cause the difficulty, the rift. And as I said, maybe that's you today. Maybe you're on the side of feeling remorse. Maybe if you think right now, you think over the last year or two, I've said some things, I've texted some things, I've sent some emails, I've posted some posts that I feel regret, I feel remorse over because I know I was not acting well in that situation. Well, don't pretend it didn't happen. Don't pretend you can avoid it. Take Paul's coaching of Onesimus here and go back to the one you've offended and seek forgiveness and seek grace. That's Onesimus' story. He has to own up to what he's done and go back and do the hard work of owning up to it. But then that brings us to Philemon then. Here is a faithful, mature Christian, and he's hosting the church in his house. And we don't know all the circumstances around why Onesimus is bonded to Philemon, but Onesimus owes him some sort of debt or debts. And as I said, now he has the additional debt of the theft when he ran away. And we know he has these debts because Paul says to Philemon, if he's wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. So Paul knows that Onesimus is in the wrong here. Well, what is Philemon supposed to do then? Well, in the bulk of the rest of this letter, Paul's now coaching Philemon on how to respond to being harmed by another person. There's no question that it's Onesimus that's in the wrong. There's no indication here that Philemon was mistreating his bondservant or exacting from him an unowed debt from him. There was no harm being done to Onesimus is indicated here. If that was going on, you can bet that when Onesimus was telling his woes to Paul, all of that would have come out. But there's no hint of that here. No hint of Onesimus justifying why he said what he said or did what he did. Philemon's the injured party. Philemon has the right to feel resentment over Onesimus dodging his debt and betraying the household. Well, sometimes this is us. Sometimes we're not Onesimus, sometimes we're Philemon. There's seasons in our life when we've been wronged by another person. We've been hurt or betrayed or offended. And we know that we have been because we feel resentment. Just as remorse is our emotional warning system that we've done something wrong to somebody, resentment is our emotional warning system that we have been wronged. I resent that email. I resent that post. I resent that insult. I resent what that person has done to me. I feel like they owe me. And so sometimes we're with Philemon where we're feeling resentment. Could be a physical debt, could be an emotional debt, but we know we're owed something and we're not getting it. So what do we do about that? Well, just as Onesimus took the coaching of Paul, 
in returning to face his reconciliation, we can take the coaching of Paul that he is offering to Philemon. Paul is teaching that Jesus' followers are debt forgivers. Disciples are relationship restorers. Disciples are grace givers and body of Christ redeemers. Disciples are reconcilers. This is the coaching and the teaching that Paul gives Philemon and gives us if we're in his shoes. You're a disciple of Jesus Christ. You claim to follow the Lord Jesus. Then here's your discipleship lesson. You are a relationship restorer. You're a redeemer. You're a grace giver. Just as they are a music facer and a forgiveness asker. 2 Corinthians 2, 17-18 says that Christians are a new creation by the reconciliation that we have received with God through Jesus Christ and that we now also have that ministry of reconciliation. Every Christian has a ministry of reconciliation. And in the context of 2 Corinthians, it's the ministry of reconciling the world to God. It's the gospel ministry of reconciliation. But in a wider sense, it's being reconciled to each other. This is what Paul is talking about in the open letter to the church of Colossae. He's talking about how all people are being reconciled to each other. In Christ, there is no more distinction between Jew and Greek, slave and free, intellectual or and, and educated. He says barbarian or Scythian in that case, but you know, there's, there's no favoritism, there's no distinction, there's reconciliation, he says in Colossians 3.11, between all ethnicities, between all classes, between all people. Well, maybe you identify with Philemon and his resentment of being wronged or wounded by another believer or even by the church, which I don't even always know what that means when people say they've been hurt by the church, but I'll take, I'll take responsibility for it. Maybe you have this resentment of being wronged, of knowing that in your flesh you really want some satisfaction, some payback. And Paul says to Philemon and to you, even though you're in the right, this is the reality. Disciples are not debt hoarders. We are not debt coveters. We don't cherish our offenses and covet them like Gollum in a cave with his ring. We don't think, oh, it's so good to feel bad about that person. Disciples don't extract every possible ounce of debt they are owed by others. Disciples are grace givers and forgivers. And there's really good reasons why disciples are forgivers and grace givers. And you know most of them. Jesus forgave us. And as we are forgiven, we are to forgive others and all of those things. Which I'm not going to get into explicitly this morning. But the good reasons for why we as disciples have to be grace givers and music facers... Brings us to the third person in this story, Paul himself. He wants to teach the church of Colossae something through Philemon and Onesimus. Paul explains why Philemon, why disciples are relationship redeemers, and at the same time gives us a third example of how we are meant to be today as disciples on behalf of our brothers and sisters that need reconciliation. Namely, that disciples are also intercessors. So let's now move to the third person involved here. It's the Apostle Paul. What is he doing interfering? I mean interceding. Um, there's two fairly clear subtexts to this letter. Okay, So there's the letter, and you can read the text, and the text is clear. But there's two subtexts that aren't said explicitly, but they're fairly obvious if you just think about it. Okay. And the first subtext that you don't really have stated explicitly is just this reality. 
facing those that we must reconcile with, on one hand, and on the other hand, offering forgiveness when we are wounded are both hard to do. This is hard, hard stuff. And because it is so hard to do when brothers and sisters need to reconcile, that process benefits from the gracious assistance in the form of an intercessor. This is taking place right now is hard for Onesimus to do. To come back after running away and stealing and face his old debts and the trust of the household that he betrayed. It's hard to come back and face Philemon. If he was a non-believer still, you can bet he would never have left Rome again. He would have disappeared into the city, gone, free man. He runs into Paul, he gets saved. The Holy Spirit, through Paul, speaks to his heart. He says, you know what, you have some debt you've got to go back and take care of. This is hard for Onesimus to do. It's going to be hard for Philemon to forgive him. This guy comes back after skipping out on whatever debt he was a bondservant for and probably stealing from you, betraying your household. And he runs away. And now he comes back and Philemon is like, well, I'm just supposed to take this guy back? Like, what am I, what am I supposed to do with this? It's hard. This stuff is hard. So that's the first subtext. The very presence of this letter tells us that Paul knows it's going to be hard. That's why he's writing this letter. It's why he's stepping in as an intercessor before Onesimus even gets back. You know, Tychicus is right there with a letter for Philemon. Yeah, just pay no attention to the guy behind me yet. Read this letter, right? Paul's trying to get in front of this. If this stuff was easy, Paul would not even bother with a letter like this. But it is hard. And therefore, as fellow brothers and sisters in the church... Paul, as a fellow brother, knows that it's a good ministry, it's a good gospel effort that he is engaged in here as part of the body of Christ to be actively involved as an intercessor for these two brothers who need help. Now, maybe that's you today as well. It might be Onesimus, it might be Philemon. Probably a lot of us are Paul in this situation. Maybe this is the shoes that we're in today. We know how hard it can be for two brothers or two sisters that we know who are at odds with each other to reconcile. We know it's hard for them to go and ask forgiveness. We know it's hard for them to forgive. And so if we're in Paul's shoes, maybe we need to be alert to the leading of the Holy Spirit and step into, actively step into the role of being an intercessor for the sake of reconciling two brothers or two sisters. And this could be a private matter. This could be no, it's not necessarily some big thing that's going on in the church. This stuff with Philemon and Onesimus, I mean, the church knew about it. They knew Onesimus. They knew he ran away. But Paul's trying to take care of this privately. But maybe we need to step in when we see brothers and sisters in disagreement and say, you know what, I want to intercede here for you. In the last couple of years, there's been no shortage of opportunity for brothers and sisters in Christ in the same church family, or even in the same actual family, to become offended with one another, to have distanced themselves from each other, to say perhaps like Onesimus did, I am never going back, never going back to that church, never going back to that person, never going back to that topic, never going back to whatever. Or on the other hand, like Philemon is thinking, I am never going to accept that person back on the same terms before. I've seen their true colors now. And boy, there's a gulf between what they think and what I think. So I'm not taking them back. But that is exactly what Paul says disciples do. Jesus' followers do go back to those relationships. We do go back and accept others, even though it is hard. That's what disciples do. 
And that's why, by God's grace, we have this example of how the other disciples around us can step in and be intercessors to help brothers and sisters in the body reconcile. So let's look briefly at how Paul does this interceding. First of all, Paul's appeal is based on love. When you read this letter, it is amazing, really amazing. If you take the time, like I have recently, and I've read this letter dozens and dozens of times. If you read this letter, it's amazing how gentle Paul's tone is. He's never met Philemon, he's never been to Colossae, but he calls him a beloved fellow worker and emphasizes the joy he has from knowing Philemon's love. It seems like Philemon probably financially supports Paul. Maybe they've written to each other before. They seem to know each other. Paul at one point says, if you consider me a partner, which is the word that he uses for people that sponsor his ministry, But whatever it is, Paul's love for Philemon is clear, and he knows that Philemon respects him. And Paul is very careful with his words, as careful as he is anywhere else in the New Testament. Line by line, let me tell you, this letter is a master class in discipleship counseling. You could write a PhD dissertation just on about six sentences in this letter about how to counsel, how to disciple, how to lead a fellow brother or sister to look at a situation in a different light, to see a relationship biblically, to see how the gospel intersects with our relationships. Paul's a genius here. Like, just a genius. I don't have time to go into all the ways that he's a genius, but I'll point out some of them. Paul is exceptionally loving in how he writes and exceptionally careful with his words in order to shift his mind, shift his perspective to the kingdom and to the gospel. But it's more than Paul's loving approach. It's his appeal is literally based on love. He says in verse 8 and 9, I could command you, but for love's sake I appeal to you. And so Paul sets the ground of Philemon's response to Onesimus on love. Not on his authority as an apostle to just say, well, you've come into my you know, pastor's office today and I'm just telling you guys, kiss and make up. You know, you got to. He doesn't say that. He doesn't base it, notice, on justice or fairness. You know, he doesn't talk to Philemon about what would be just or what would be fair. He doesn't talk to Onesimus about well, what would be fair, what would be just, or what would the law say. I appeal to you on love. Love is the basis of our approaching any reconciliation. Onesimus is now a believer. He came to hear the gospel and know Christ through Paul. Paul says Onesimus is his child, who he became a father to in prison. Philemon, I'm asking you to love my child, love a fellow brother in Christ. This is the priority relationship. Just as I taught the whole church in my letter to Colossae, now you get a chance, you, Philemon, get a chance to put on display and show as an object lesson how the gospel reorders relationships between masters and servants. I just taught it in the letter to the church. Now, here's a master and a servant. You guys have the opportunity to be the greatest example to the church of Colossae. The best possible object lesson that they could have of what I just taught. As potential intercessors, please notice Paul's example to us. He does not sit down with one party or the other and co-grumble with them. 
or remind them of all their rights and how they should go and demand justice from the other person or sit there with a coffee and say, oh, yeah, you're right. That person really did do you wrong. You know, you need to go talk to somebody about that and get your due. Okay, disciples, you are not helping the situation if you are allowing yourself to be recruited to Team Onesimus or Team Philemon and encouraging either or the other to fight for their rights and get their due. That is not love. That is not gospel. Gospel intercessors are coaching both parties to base their approach on love. Your conversation with them is, do you love them? Will you go to them in love? Not to demand your rights, but to love them as a brother, as a sister. That's the only kind of coaching you should be doing. That's the only foundation you should be basing your relational conversations on. You are not helping the situation if you are just encouraging their feeling wronged. So Paul bases his appeal to this reconciliation on love. Secondly, Paul makes the kingdom the priority. In verses 11 and 17, Paul leans Philemon's thoughts into larger kingdom purposes that they all serve. You see how he's so careful with his words here? He's just nudging Philemon's mind to look at things differently. He says that Onesimus, which literally means useful or profitable one, he says he used to be useless to you, but now he's truly useful to you and to me, to both of us. And Paul says he would have loved to keep this useful one with him to serve the mission in Rome on Philemon's behalf even. Like Paul is so careful with his words here, right? He's basically, he's shifting his perspective on what the event actually has taken place, right? Like sure, maybe Onesimus ran away from you and that's one way of looking at it. But as it turns out, Philemon, your bondservant ended up in Rome serving me. So it's almost like you sent him to me to help me out. Like, what a great gift you sent me. That's awesome. Like, did you ever think of it that way? It's like, it's like he's serving on your expense, to your credit, the ministry. And you didn't even realize that, that you were doing it. But to be fair, Paul says, I'm sending him back to you because if he's going to serve me for you, I want it to be your free choice. I want you to decide that he does that. But the effect is accomplished. Paul has now shifted the thinking of Philemon's mind to the focus of the kingdom, to the focus of the mission of the gospel, the mission of all believers. And Paul even goes on to invoke the sovereignty of God in matters like this. God is in control of his mission, and God is in control of his servants. Philemon, you may think you're in control of Onesimus' life just because he's your bondservant. God has sovereignty over Onesimus, not you. Right? That was also in his teaching to the church on Colossae. He said, masters, remember you have a master. (laughs) And that's what Paul is saying here. He said, this is what I taught on Sunday. And now I'm showing you, Philemon, that you thought you were the master of Onesimus. But God is actually in control. He says, maybe that's why he was parted from you for a while. God had a better plan. Maybe, Maybe Onesimus didn't just run away. Maybe he was parted from you. That's a third party verb, right? Like somebody parted Onesimus from you. Onesimus didn't do it himself. God moved him from you to me so that that Onesimus could be saved. Right? There's a little bit of a rebuke there if you really want to read between the lines. Onesimus was in your house, church leader. (laughs) And God had him run away to me in prison in Rome so that he could get saved. And then come back to you. Now, I don't think Paul's rebuking Philemon. It's kind of ironic, right? So, 
God moved him so that he could be saved and so that he could serve me and so that you could have him back forever, for eternity, not just as a servant, but as a brother in Christ. God wanted you to have more than a servant. He wanted you to have a brother. You just got upgraded, brother. You got better than a bond servant now. Finally, I mean, you, can, you can almost hear Paul pulling a quote from Joseph in Genesis 50, 20. You know, Philemon, what you thought was meant for ill, God meant for good. You're sitting at home grumbling because your bondservant ran away. God was doing stuff you don't even imagine with that. And so as we seek to intercede, as we take this example now as Paul in our shoes, as Paul does his intercession, we also need to be keeping the focus on the kingdom and the mission and the gospel functioning in the lives of those we're interceding for. When we sit down with them and have a coffee, our focus is to bounce base it on love, and then shift them to the kingdom and to the gospel and how the gospel is at work in our lives. God has a purpose in all things. He's redeeming all things. And we forget that when we're angry at people. We sometimes find ourselves stuck between two brothers or sisters who are really offended and hurt and wounded by some event or some words or some circumstance. And we need to help them, because it's hard, help them shift their perspective away from how they are feeling in the circumstances of this world and how they've been hard done by and shift it towards what God may be doing through the circumstances of this world. Through the things that they think were meant to hurt them. Because here's what Paul knows... God doesn't waste anything. And so instead of looking for how you can get what you're owed out of a situation, maybe consider what God is doing in the kingdom and what is the greater good. Maybe there's something bigger going on here. Philemon, have you ever considered that maybe all of this stuff that happened to you wasn't actually about you at all? Maybe, Philemon, you are not the main character in this story. Maybe God is doing something bigger than you. Maybe God trusted where you were at, Philemon, spiritually, and he was attending to your bondservant, Onesimus. God really had something playing out in Onesimus' life. It didn't really have to do with your life. And God trusted that you were mature enough to handle this. But now it is about you again, Philemon. You got your wish. You're the center of attention again. The story is now about you again, Philemon. This is your, you're the main character. So here's the test. As the main character in the story again, you have the opportunity to show God that you can pass the test and that you can join him in his redemptive plan of redeeming people just as he's redeemed Onesimus and brought you a brother. Are you going to join God in that now that you're the main character again? Do you ever think about it that way, Philemon? Paul's less sarcastic than me, so he wouldn't necessarily say it that way. That's how I'll say it if you come to my office. I mean, think about it, Philemon. A brother who was lost and the brother was found. I've heard Jesus tell that story before. What part are you going to be in it? The elder brother who thought it was all about him? Or the father who welcomes him home? We need that reminder from time to time. We especially need that reminder that it's not all about us and it's always about God. When we think everything happening around us and to us is about us, as though we're the most important person in the story. Listen, disciples, very, very often, almost all the time, the main plot line of this life isn't actually about you. It's about God. It's always about God and what God is doing in his kingdom. For his glory. 
And what God wants out of this is he wants these two brothers to be a trophy of grace and victory of the gospel in the church of Colossae. He says, Colossians, I just taught you that the gospel reorders relationships between servants and masters. Here's a servant and a master. They're going to show you. Paul's hope, his plea, every pastor's hope and plea is, these two guys are in your very midst are going to be the picture of the gospel I just taught you. Because they're going to reconcile, they're going to reunite, and they're going to be on fire for the kingdom and for the gospel mission. And everybody else is going to look and say, I can't believe Philemon brought that guy back. And everybody's going to look and say, I can't believe Onesimus went back. What is going on here? They will know we are Christians by our love. Thirdly, in his intercession, Paul, as he intercedes, as we take notes here from Paul of how to be intercessors, Paul is willing to pay any price for this reconciliation himself. He is not simply a facilitator. He is not simply an arbitrator. He's definitely not a meddler. He's not simply a neutral party who's trying to accomplish some relationship goal between two people that he has no interest in. Paul is invested in this relationship. He's willing to pay whatever the price needs to be paid to make it right. Look what he says. I touched on this earlier. He says in verses 18 and 19, if he has wronged you at all or he owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. This is my guarantee. I'll repay it. To say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. So what is Paul willing to spend to get this relationship reconciled? Well, there's two things here that are mentioned. The most obvious being, if Philemon thinks he's owed some debt, if there's some outstanding debt that Onesimus still owes, or if something's been stolen, or there's some money, or there's some service that he's owed, Paul says, charge it to me, I'll repay it. Did he steal something? I'll replace it. Does he, did he cause you some loss? I'll reimburse you. Paul wants to pay the price to see this reconciliation happen. But there's another level of spending here that Paul's willing to lay out. He hints at it in the second part. It's what we call relational capital, or what, what we might call political capital. You know what I mean? It's, it's basically like goodwill. It's influence and credibility. Paul knows that he has a lot of relational capital in the bank with Philemon. And he could use that on his behalf to help his ministry and himself out, maybe get himself out of some scrapes with Philemon. But Paul is willing to spend his relational capital with Philemon on Onesimus's behalf. He's willing to dip into his relational bank with Philemon and credit it to Onesimus. He says, look, Philemon, you know how much you owe me. You know how much we mean to each other. Well, treat Onesimus just like you would treat me. Use my relational capital with him. You wouldn't demand repayment for me, and in fact, you would do me any favor. I asked, well, here I am asking the favor. I'm drawing on that relationship bank for my brother Onesimus here. Paul is willing to pay any price to see this relationship healed. He's not just a neutral third party. He's invested in seeing this rift healed. Now, why in the church would Paul want to do that? Why is this so important? And this is what we're driving at today of why we are... Music facers, we are disciples are people that go back to heal relationships, and disciples are people are, that are debt forgivers, and we are receivers of people back, and disciples are intercessors. Why all of this? Because in closing, it's because of the second subtext of this letter. Remember I said the first subtext is that reconciliation is hard, and that's why we need an intercessor who's loving, 
bases their reconciliation on love, shifts the focus to the kingdom, is willing to invest, and themselves pay any price to see brothers and sisters reconciled. Like, what does he owe you? A hundred bucks? Here's the hundred bucks. Call it even. Like, I'll pay. Why do we need that level of commitment to reconciliation by all parties? Because the second subtext is why that is. Because every believer in the church of Colossae or Halliburton has an interest in every other Christian relationship. Paul has a real interest and is willing to pay. Paul is not simply a neutral third party because the church is a body of Christ and what affects one member of the body eventually affects all members. And that's not just a sentimental idea. That is church reality. Your personal, temporary feuds and rifts and wounds eventually have some effect on the whole church. And therefore, because your disagreements and your estrangements and your I'm not going back and your I'm not taking him back, all of those little things that all of us have, every Christian around you has a vested interest in seeing those animosities healed. Because we are one body and what affects one body affects us all. Your business is their business. It affects the whole church when you get angry and leave. It affects the whole church when the guitarist can't share the stage with the drummer. That's not a real example. (laughs) It affects the whole church when there are squabbles between members over any issue. Whether it's political or a worldview or a whatever view or something that happened here thing. Whatever it is, when there are squabbles between members over issues and they become deep rifts, it affects everybody, and so therefore your personal relational business is everybody's business. You can't have joined a family and get the benefit of the family of God and being part of God's household without also owning up to the accountability of belonging to a household. Because your bedroom and all the business that goes on in your bedroom is right beside mine, and I can hear it all through the wall. Right? When you leave the toilet seat up, I'm the next one in there. You can't be part of the household of God and not be accountable to the household of God. You can't say, oh, I love the church and all the benefits I get. Stay out of my business. It doesn't work that way, Paul's saying. Now notice Paul starts the reconciliation out privately. And he hopes this all ends privately. He sent Tychicus with a letter to the whole church. And he also sent Onesimus to tell his story. But then he sent Tychicus with this private letter to Philemon. Basically, Paul is pastoring here, big time. Paul wants this rift between Philemon and Onesimus healed. And Paul is personally invested in it because he wants the health of the whole church. He knows the health of this whole church in Colossae rides, to some degree, on whether these guys get reconciled or not. Because Paul has seen in Corinth and Galatia and Ephesus and almost every other church he writes about, he has seen and told us about what happens when these things don't get worked out. When these things don't get worked out, Christians start taking Christians to court, and somebody's sleeping with somebody's, you know, some son is sleeping with his stepmom, and like all kinds of crazy stuff is going on. And if you don't get this stuff sorted out privately, and if you don't get in each other's business to get this sorted out, then this good little church in Colossae that we've been praising all these last seven or eight weeks, it can go like Corinth. And Paul does not want that to happen. No pastor wants that to happen. He wants this healed. 
So it depends, are Philemon and Onesimus going to heal this relationship or not? Because if they don't, then the tension is there, and the sides are taken, and the bickering begins, and the texts and the emails are going around. Not out on the surface at first, it's, it's conversations in the parking lot. And then somebody says somebody at somebody's kid's birthday party. And then eventually it ends up here, or in my office. So take this stuff seriously, this reconciliation. Take intercession seriously. Be led by the Holy Spirit. Be careful. Be loving like Paul is. Be so cautious and wise with your words. Read Philemon three or four times before you go into it. But take intercession seriously. Don't just step back and say, none of my business. If you're a disciple here, if you're a believer, if they're brothers and sisters, it's your business. Get involved. Disciple them. Coach them through it because it's hard. Paul told us in 1 Corinthians to that church that is the mess that we often learn so much from. After that big, you know, that big, all, all those chapters about how we're one body made up of many parts and the eye can't say to the hand, you know, going to leave, whatever. He says, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. That's why this is so important. And so you see the subtext here is the context of Paul writing to this church in Colossae. You are a good little church. You're a great body of Christ. I don't, have, I don't hear any problems with you at this point. If one of you suffers, though, it can cause us all to suffer. And so Philemon and Onesimus, before this gets out, here's a little letter on the side. Here's some coaching. Here's some discipleship. Here's some pastoring. None of the people in your church are impartial observers to your pain and your animosity. We all feel it. We're all going to be affected by it. How any one of us goes, so we all go. And so we all will serve. We all will pay. We all will help in any way to intercede to see you two reconciled. So that you can be a trophy of God's grace. You can be a trophy of the gospel of how relationships are reordered and they're made new in the body of Christ. We want to get in front of it before you even have a chance to get angry and start the healing before it even affects the church. Can you imagine a church like that? Not that we want to be a church full of busybodies. We don't want to be meddlers. Rather, we want to pay any price for any other person to see any and every relationship healed and healthy. Where we are as a body of believers constantly coaching one another to ground all of our responses to each other on love. Where we are constantly encouraging each other and pointing each other and shifting our perspective to a kingdom perspective, to a gospel perspective. Where we're always saying, what is God at work at in the bigger picture here? Let's not get caught in the weeds of how we feel about things. Let's look at what God is doing in that person and in us. How is God testing us, strengthening us? How are we going to participate in God's story rather than asking God how he's going to fix our story? It's not about us, it's about God. And working privately in the background like this, like Paul is. Working privately in the background to see every relationship healed before it even leads to somebody you know, leaving the church or being angry at this family or that family or whatever it is. Just get into the background and start interceding. Start paying the price. It might be the price of your time. It might be the price of a few sleepless nights. It might be the price of whatever. I don't know what it might be. But pay any price to see these every relationship healed. Because it's hard to be a body of Christ. It's hard to be filled with so many different people. Jesus shows up and says, you know what? I'm getting rid of all class distinctions, all ethnic distinctions, all wealth distinctions, all education distinctions. I'm just putting everybody together in my church so you can't stay in your little cliques anymore. All ethnicities, all families, all classes, all people, everybody, all political parties, everybody's going to be together in the same church. Get along. 
But he doesn't do that. He's with us. His Spirit is with us. We have the power of the Spirit of God. We have the power of the Gospel. We have the teaching of the Scripture. We have the power of Jesus Christ to do this. Where does that power come from? It comes from this. Here's our big example, big finish. Jesus saw our need to be reconciled to God. As an intercessor, this is where we get our cues from. As an intercessor, he interceded, he intervened on our behalf. Jesus was not a neutral third party. He paid any price, the ultimate price, for our reconciliation. He didn't. It wasn't his problem, but he interceded as an intercessor for our behalf, and he paid the ultimate price for our relationship with God to be restored. Even death on a cross, the shedding of his blood, the, the totally mysterious and unexpected and unfathomable idea that somehow he bore our sin, and, and, he was, and, and God somehow in the Trinity turned his back on his son. And, and a relationship that was eternal suddenly came to an end for a moment. Something happened there. And we can't even fathom the price of that. The physical example of the cross was just a picture of what was actually taking place. Jesus paid the price. He bore any debt we owed in order to see us reunited in the kingdom of God. That's the gospel, and surely that gospel message is modeled and meant for us to perform with each other. We all need reconciliation with one another at some point. Maybe especially right now after two years of different opinions and tensions and different attitudes about everything that's been going on for the last two years. Of hard choices that people had to make. And if we need reconciliation as people, then we also need intercessors, just like Paul. We need to be disciples that are reconciliatory. In other words, we go back and we accept back. And we also need to be disciples that are intercessory. We help people do this. We help brothers and sisters do this. So keep your heart soft. Keep your heart attentive to either remorse for your action or resentment over the actions of others. And keep your spiritual eyes and ears alert for the opportunity to reconcile and to intercede and to help others heal the wounds of their relationship. Because the health of the body of Christ depends on this ministry of reconciliation. Let's pray. Father God, Thank you for your word. Thank you for these believers, these disciples, these visitors, these guests, those that are joining us online. Everybody who's listening, your word does not return void when it goes out. And so, Father, I pray that it would have an effect on our hearts. And that we would be this kind of church, like the good little church in Colossae. We'd be reconcilers. We'd be going back and making things writers. We'd be accepting people back and wanting things writers. And we would be helping to make things right. Amongst our brothers and sisters, we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.